Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. And we'll begin in verse 1 this morning. Um... When we look into the Scripture, whether it be our own reading of the Scripture or whether it be when we meet together, the goal is not just to get more knowledge in our heads. The goal is to know Jesus. To know Him. To know a person. The goal is life change. The goal of, of hearing God's Word and, and uh, meeting together is so that our lives would be changed from the way they have been and into more and more of His glory. And so if, if we are going to experience that kind of life change, we need a glimpse of Jesus. We need a glimpse of His glory. Something that changes us when we see Him. And when we are believers and we still struggle with sins that have gotten us down for decades even, what we need is more of His glory. We need to be able to worship Him and savor Him and see Him in all of His reality for who He is. And in the text today, Jesus gives a glimpse of His glory to three of His disciples. I'll go ahead and read our text, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 17. And after six days, Jesus took, him, or took with Him Peter and James and John, His brother, and led them to a high mountain by themselves. And He was transfigured before them. And His face shone like the sun. And His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it, it, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one of this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked Him, then why did the scribes say that first, must, uh, first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, 
and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand and obey your word. Let us see your glory on the pages of these verses. Not just words on a page, but let us see your glory. Give me strength and grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's remember where we're at. Jesus had uh, met with his disciples, and he asked them not long ago, Who do men say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus commends Peter, says that he had spoken rightly, and then Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When Jesus says to us, the gates of hell will not prevail against His church, We need to believe Him. What gave Peter confidence? What gave the apostles confidence as they went out into the midst of persecution? They knew the promise from Jesus that the gates of hell would not prevail against His church. And what can give us confidence? When we look out into the world and we see everything is so messed up in this world, what can give us confidence? The same words that Jesus said to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus also said that the Son of Man, He was going to have to suffer at the hands of men and die. And He said that If we want to follow Him, then we have to take up our cross and follow Him. Be ready to suffer as well. And then six days later, just six days later, Jesus goes up on a high mountain. And He just brings three with Him. Not the whole bunch of twelve. He brings Peter, James, and John up onto a high mountain. There was another man in the Old Testament who went up on a high mountain to meet with God. Moses. Moses went up on a high mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And when he came down, his face was shining with the glory of God that had reflected off of him. And here we see in verse 2, when Jesus went up the, whole, up the mountain with His disciples, He was transfigured before them. The word transfigured in the Greek is metamorphosis. You know, when we think of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, He was changed. 
It tells us here in the text, His face shone like the sun. There's some similarity here between Moses and Jesus. Moses was that great one who who led the people out of Egypt and, and He gave them the law. And as He came down from the mountain after meeting with God face to face, His face shone, but that was just a reflection. Here, Jesus' face, it's not just a reflection. Jesus' face shone like the sun itself. When the disciples saw Jesus' face shining, it was, it was, it was, they were glimpsing God's glory Himself. The veil was lifted up and, G, and the disciples were able to see Jesus for who He was. John chapter 1 tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, the the second person of the Trinity, who was God from the very beginning, who was with God, who made everything, He wrapped Himself in human flesh. And the veil was lifted for just a moment while the disciples here saw Him for who He was. And His clothes became white as light. And Peter said, Lord, it is good that we're here, if you wish. I will make three tents for you. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter doesn't learn very quick. (laughs) We've got... In that passage we looked at two weeks ago, Peter was very quick and he said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, yes, you're right. And then the next passage, whenever Jesus said that the Son of Man was going to have to suffer and and be put to death, and Peter said, no, and Jesus calls him Satan. (laughs) And here, he doesn't get what's going on. He wants to stay there. He wants to set up a tent. Maybe he had in mind the the Feast of Tabernacles, this Jewish festival. Or maybe he just wanted to stay there and, and bask in the glory of Jesus. But before anything can happen, before before he even gets it out of his mouth, he hears a voice. They hear this voice booming out of heaven from the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. These are words that would have been familiar. For one, they're based off of Psalm 2. For another, they were words very similar to what were given at Jesus' baptism. When John baptized Jesus, a voice from heaven, the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This voice was intended to verify Jesus was who He really was. When He was baptized, God spoke to authenticate what was going on. He was authenticating it and saying, yes, this is my Son. 
That He is the One. He is the Messiah. And when Jesus was with His disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on the mountain, the same words are said. And the apostles there hear this voice from heaven saying, this is My Son. And the voice says, listen to Him. God Himself, the Father, is authenticating the Son, saying, this is the One you should listen to. Verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Wouldn't we? This is the response when we truly come into the presence of God. Think of Isaiah. Maybe you've read this passage, Isaiah chapter 6. Maybe you haven't read it yet, but in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision of the Lord God Almighty. He has a vision of the Lord sitting in His temple. And the train of His robe filled the temple. And the house was filled with smoke. And there were these angels. And, and they were one was calling out to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when Isaiah was in the presence of God, his response was, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah, whenever he was in the presence of God, he grieved over his sin. He said, Woe is me. And the disciples when they became in the presence of God Himself, when Jesus was transfigured and they saw Him lift the veil and see the glory, they were terrified. They fell on their faces. But Jesus came and touched them. Another thing I see there in Isaiah chapter 6, when when Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone. What happens? Uh, An angel comes and grabs a coal from the fire and touches Isaiah's lips and he's cleansed. When the disciples fall down on their faces and were terrified, Jesus came and touched them. He touched them. Cleansing them. He says, rise and have no fear. Well, they better do what He said because the Father just said, listen to Him. And then they lifted their eyes. They saw no one but Jesus only. The disciples needed something that was going to keep them strong. Keep them faithful. So that whenever persecution came, whenever things came that were were temptations to, to fall away, they needed something that they could say, this is real! I'm not giving up on this. And Jesus gave them that opportunity as He was transfigured before them. Verse 9. They were coming down the mountain and Jesus commanded them, tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So they're to keep this a secret until. Until. Jesus was risen from the dead. Think of what we know about Peter whenever Jesus 
was crucified. We know Peter was afraid that Peter denied Jesus three times. Don't we think that the fact that he had seen Jesus lift the veil and he saw His glory, don't we think that that would give him enough strength so that he wouldn't fall away? That even he denied Jesus. But after the resurrection, Peter must have remembered, oh yeah, Jesus told us this was going to happen. And was one more confirmation that he knew this is real. This is real. Tell no one about the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? See, they still have questions. Even though they'd experienced God, they still had questions. They still needed to learn. And when we come into the presence of God, when we see Him for who He is, when He touches our hearts, we're still going to have questions. We're still not going to get everything right. They, have, they ask this question. And Jesus, He gives them their answer. Elijah does come. And, when he co- and He will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. He tells us that that Elijah, this this um, this figure, that the passage that um, Ron read from, there's a promise there at the very end of our Old Testament that says Elijah would come in the la- before the coming of the Son of Man. Elijah would come, and the disciples had their confidence in that promise that the that that the Messiah would come, but first Elijah would come, and they're wondering where is this Elijah? You're here. But I thought Elijah was coming first. Well, this is confusing too because, you see, some asked John. Some, some said, are, are you Elijah? Are, are you the one who was coming first? And John denied it. He said no. And yet here we have Jesus saying that He was. How do we make sense with that? How do, how do, we, how do those things fit together? Well, the Bible does not teach any kind of reincarnation. The idea that someone would come back in another life. It rejects that totally. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed for man once to die, and after that face the judgment. This is the life we get. Elijah, we know John the Baptist was born. He was born of Elizabeth and Zechariah. So he wasn't somehow Elijah come back from the dead. He literally wasn't Elijah. But what Jesus here is saying is that he was the one who was prophesied to come back in the power and the spirit of Elijah, which is the language that John, the Gospel of John uses as well. When we face our temptations, when we face our trials, we need confidence that this is real. We need confidence 
Because if we have doubt that this is real, then we will likely fall. Jesus gave them the transfiguration so that they would see His glory. Peter comments on this later. If you want to turn there, in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter is probably Peter's last... I mean, it's, it's the last letter we have from Peter, and it's close to his death. And he's telling his audience that he, he, he wants to remind them because he knows he's going to die soon, and he, he wants to remind them what they need to know once he's gone. And verse 16 says... For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, This is My Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain." As Peter talks about the event later on, he, he says, we were eyewitnesses. How can we trust that this is real, that this is true? Peter doesn't base this on some kind of a mystical experience or anything. He says, we saw it with our own eyes. We were there. It's reasonable to take eyewitness accounts. We take eyewitness accounts with all kinds of things. We don't have to be there to see something ourselves before we're able to trust that something happened. We know that Shakespeare was a real person. We know that, that uh, 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 Julius Caesar and Augustus and all of them were real people. And how do we believe those things? Because eyewitnesses wrote them down. And eyewitness Peter, James, John... And all the other disciples were eyewitnesses. We can trust that the Bible is true. We can trust that we can stake our lives on it. When, when times get difficult, when times get tough, we can trust that the Bible is true because it was written by eyewitnesses. So I want to conclude with this. We have an authoritative, reliable book that tells us the promise of Jesus that He would come and when He came and what He accomplished. And if we want to follow Him, the only way that we're going to be able to hold up is if we have a time with Him. That we see Him for who He is. That we worship Him. Not just come to church on a Sunday and go through the motions and go home and forget about it, but we really worship Him. Either on a Sunday or in the week or whenever you get alone with your Bible and you worship Him. It's when we worship that we gain fuel to be able to keep on going in the midst of everything that this crazy world that we live in.
Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.